You need to understand Hitler's interest in this. Oh, yes. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. Folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 120, another one of our landmark shows. And today we're going to be talking about Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. This great and fantastic film stars Harrison Ford, Paul Freeman, John Reese davies and Karen Allen. I'm your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark, would you like to pet my monkey, Slover? You guys want to talk about this movie or talk to God? Either way, we do it together. I got nothing better to do. <laughs> there you go. All right. And also joining us is our other very good and dear friend, Ken. It ain't the years, it's the miles. Roni. You may refer to me as Sturmbahn Theater Talk. <laughs> now, where did I leave my black leather trench coat? <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Ken, I just want you to know that the other uh, intro I was going to give you was, uh, Ken, this is my first starring role, Rhodey, but I left that out. <laughs> yeah, for those listeners out there that don't know what I look like, look for Sturmbahn here and Tote in this movie, and you'll have a good idea. Yeah. Except for you don't have a, scar, a horrific scar on your hand. Hey, you know what? Covert of my house next 4th of July, you might. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. I was going to say, you probably got one on your back. <laughs> he does scream. You notice how he really screams like a girl? He does. Which is how I would do. But you didn't. You sat there just kind of like looking at the sky going, what's this pain on my back? That's because he was heavily sedated. Maybe that I've was it. I've been drinking all night. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I think I think Sturmbacher Tote was a teetotaler. He believed in one. He believed in two things. Fascism and sadism. I think you Not might be right. Not necessarily in that order. Exactly. All right, folks, he's back from his world tour, uh, or tour of Indiana, or wherever the hell he's been. Our other very good and dear friend, our favorite Penny on the Rail, and favorite guest red shirt of the show. <laughs> Jeff. Why do the bald guys always die badly in these movies? Muncie. Podcasters. Why do there have to be podcasters? <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, we are going to be talking about it. It's uh, one of our landmark shows. Uh, every, uh, what, every fifth, I think we figured, is uh, we have to do something special. And this is one that we're doing. And it, this is a 1981 uh, Steven Spielberg directed, George Lucas written movie and it's a classic uh it was originally starting out as a uh kind of a a b movie and uh turned into a um <laughs> turned into a major classic and it's raiders of the lost ark uh one of my personal favorites uh guys what do you think i mean initial thoughts uh, this is one of the iconic ones of the uh, of the 80s actually it's a uh, an iconic movie of uh, theater i would think this movie was a groundbreaking movie for the, you know, it was a Spielberg and Lucas 
uh, production, arguably, when they were at their prime and had the most of their creative juices bubbling. Not that they're doing shoddy work now, but uh, they were wired in. This was uh, you know, a conscious effort was being done both with Star Wars and with Raiders to resurrect the old 30s movie serials, both in the science fiction and this, you know, pulp adventure world. And this just wired into something in, you know, the movie viewer's psyche. It's well-written. It's got great soundtrack, interesting characters. The thing moves just right along. I, I hadn't really watched it for years. And when I was watching it the other night, I was just admiring the way this thing picked up and it keeps your attention constantly. You're you're glued to the screen, and they do such a good job of having you know beautiful scenery, uh, you know, vicious fight scenes, as well as it being kind of a cerebral movie at some levels. I mean, they go into some heavy duty you know concepts and such. Uh, talk about you know good and evil, you know faith versus you know non belief. Uh, Great cast. Uh, a thing I'd like to touch on, I think your research probably showed it, is like who was originally conceived for the various roles in this movie? It, it would have been a totally different movie if we had certain other people that were originally planned for this. Right. Uh, when the you know when the theme for this plays, everybody knows what we're talking about, what movie we're talking about. It's one of my favorite movies. I can still remember going to the theater on a hot day back in 1981 with my brother and watching this and being blown away. And it's still up there. Even with the passage of time, it's still fresh. Good point. We have a lot to talk about on this movie, folks. So it's going to be, it's probably going to be a long show. So brace yourselves. Uh, lots that of means things. We'll be done at two or three in the morning. Okay. Well, you might, but, um... <laughs> but uh, Jeff, initial thoughts. Uh, you got 30 seconds. Actually, you know what? I'm going to start playing music after uh, I've deemed you done. Uh, and I will respond Mark? appropriately to that. Uh, Mark? Mark will have unlimited time. You know, he's teacher's pet. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the. Hold on. Let me drop my apple off at his desk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Mark, what's that written on your eyebrows? Oh my no, God! That, that's yeah, that's f you. <laughs> it's, no, that's it's, what I, I hope you die. I hope like you die. That. There's a difference between the apple and some bad dates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so that's that's what I give Steve. I give Steve bad dates, and Mark gives him apples. So, um, there are two movies that stand out in my mind that I saw as a as a youth. Um, <clears throat> Star Wars, and then this one. My dad took me to both of these, and uh, and I had the distinct pleasure of seeing this actually in the movie theater. And I think my response to this was about the same as seeing Star Wars for the first time. I think my mouth was just open for the entire show. Um, this was the first time I had seen anything um, on this type of a grand scale. And this movie is... I mean, it's sweeping in, in all aspects. And, uh, you know, Mark or Steve, you said early on that, uh, you know, this was uh, this was written by George Lucas. And um, just want to kind of 
modify that to say that the the story idea was what came up with by George Lucas. But fortunately, Lawrence Kasdan, who was the <clears throat> savior of um, um, Episode Five of Star Wars and this movie, actually wrote the, uh, the, the the screenplay for this. So he took that out of George Lucas's pathetic fingers and actually took control, thankfully, and, and wrote a cohesive story. Um, and there, there is a there's sort of a uh, a quadfecta here between uh, Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote this, Steven Spielberg, who directed it, Harrison Ford, who is now credited with you know two major franchises and being the, the leading man in it um, as the main actor, and then of course, as Mark mentioned, um, you had John Williams do the score, and. That is what makes this movie the incredible, epic movie that it is. Um, you know, it it is it is done on a grandiose scale, but with enough tongue in cheek along the way to make this such a fun ride. I challenge anybody to say that this is not a great movie. Can't agree more. Mark, initial thoughts. You know, I'm not going to cover a lot of the ground these esteemed gentlemen have covered. Um, they nailed a lot of what I would have said, but it truly is a timeless classic. You know, it's 30 years old. I took my kids to see it last summer when they re-released it on the big screen, and their mouths just hung open. They loved it. My son tonight asked me, he goes, Dad, what are you doing for a podcast? And I said, Raiders of the Lost Ark. He goes, I love that movie. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. You know, he's 12. It just captures that feeling, um, so much so that when it came out in 81, I went to see it, and then I grabbed my father, who grew up during the Depression, and I said, you got to go see this movie, Dad. And I took him, and he just had this big smile on his face when he wasn't laughing. And he walked out, and he said, that just reminded me of all the old serial movies that I grew up with. It, You guys have said it. It hits all the right notes. It is an incredible, fun, tightly paced, well-written, perfectly acted adventure that is iconic and is truly part of pop culture that will last uh, probably forever. It's going to be one of those movies that people will talk about 30, 40, 50 years from now in the same vein that we're talking about it. Um, it. It does everything right when a lot of these movies were attempted around this time. And I'll say one movie that Ken and I both know could have been a great movie and was horrible is King Solomon's Mind. Oh, my God. Thank you. <clears throat> right on cue. Right on cue. <laughs> Ken has the same visceral response to that movie as I do Deep Blue Sea. Exactly. But there, you know, it, there were a lot of these movies that started to come out after Raiders, but they did. They were pale comparisons. And I would say with the exception of the third movie, The Last Crusade, with Sean Connery, the others are solid, but nothing comes close to this movie. Um, even today, uh, it, it's and it's not a CGI fest. This is all hard special effects. Um, just a terrific movie, and I think it's going to be a love fest when we talk about it. There are some things, but overall, you you can't not like this movie. Well, you know, the thing of it is, is that I, I know, and I'm not. We're not. I'm just going to say it right off the bat. I, I don't want to get off on a rant. The first, second, third, I liked them all. 
There are some I like better than the others. I know Temple of Doom caught a lot of shit. Personally, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good, but I'm just saying I am one of the, I am one of the holdouts that will say, like Temple of Doom, enjoyed it. I thought it was one of the few that you could actually bring a little kid in that didn't totally destroy the movie. But that's it. Enough said. But, gentlemen, before we move on, we have to do the Man Cave uh, intro to this great and fantastic film. World-renowned archaeologist Indiana Jones is hired by the U.S. government to find the lost Ark of the Covenant before the Nazis. We have top men working on this podcast. Top men. <laughs> of course. You know, yeah, you know, Steve. As, as a, as a, I just want to give kudos. Um, last week's intro was epic. <laughs> I loved that one. You know, I just want to say real quick, guys. I do apologize for maybe how the sound quality was on that one. I think I got a little over anxious with some of my uh, uh, tweaking of that. It sounded really good on the computer, but I think when you listen to it on your iPhone, it sounds like shite. So, uh, for those of you guys who uh, uh, listen to that on iPhone, I apologize. It sounds better over, if you do the direct streaming, it doesn't sound bad, but I don't know. Or maybe it's just my iPhone. Maybe my iPhone sucks. Who knows? Hey, Steve. Yo. I don't mind if you tweak, just don't twerk. And on that wow. note, we're going right into the, uh, the review of this great and fantastic film. Again, guys, like you said, this was a this was a classic of the '80s. It is one of those legendary movies that is uh, still great. As a matter of fact, uh, Deb and I were just talking. This movie was released on DVD within what the last decade. It's not been that long ago. I mean, it's one of those things yeah. where this this is not something that you could have went out and like bought or. Or something. I mean, I remember they were releasing this on DVD. I remember being in Disney World and seeing it there, and they were making a big deal. Like this was like the first big release of this uh, of the whole pack. Yeah, it's 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 kind of surprising what movies were not immediately released on DVD, and they came out years later. And this was one of the big ones. Well, I thought it was. I mean, it, it it's like I said, it's a classic. I mean, it's yeah, I never realized it wasn't. I remember, and I'm trying. I have to go back and look when I bought it, because I remember being in Disney World and we went to MGM Studios, and they were making a big hoopla at the time. They wanted like ridiculous amounts of money for the box set, and you know maybe it's one of those things where maybe it was early 2000s or something. But even so, evidently this was not something that you could go out and buy early on. But again, one of the classics. You know, I don't remember that this has been getting a lot of play, like on cable and things like that. Maybe it has. But as I was saying earlier, you know, when I watched it the other night, it hit me like, I, I haven't seen this for quite a while. It's not, you know, I don't know why. Maybe it's just me that's not readily available. But when it came out, it just, obviously, there's a lot of buzz. You know, Spielberg and Lucas had done a lot of good work. They'd had several hits uh but also in Hollywood, they'd gotten a rep as being problems in a way that, you know, they were, had, but they'd made 1941 before this, for example, Spielberg did. And it went over budget, over time. Uh, look, you know, looked like, well, maybe these guys can't do a tight, solid movie. 
maybe they're a one-hit wonder sort of thing or two-hit wonder. But when this came out, it hit the country by storm, made something like you know two thousand percent profit. I mean, it's just massive amounts of money. Right. And it's created an influence that's lasted to this day. Well, Ken, it's interesting you mentioned that. I was about uh, these guys making these previous movies because I was watching. I've got the DVD with an interview with a. Uh, introduction by lucas and spielberg and spielberg references that he makes no bones about how jaws 1941 all his previous movies close encounters had gone way over budget way over time and he was determined that this movie was going to come in under time under budget because he felt that pressure and that he wasn't going to do 27 takes of a scene and that because he wanted to prove to himself and to his backers that he could deliver a product on time and on budget or under budget because he evidently was feeling that pressure because he did with this movie. And I think that that's, I think that is reflected in this movie. It's very tight that they, they stayed on task in the way this thing is shot and the, and the pacing of this movie that if they were playing the urgency game, they didn't rush it, but they, they stayed focused. You know, let me throw something in there real quick. You know, when I watched this, because I have not watched this movie in a long time, but when you think about it, this was this came out like what '81. Uh, this was Blade Runner. I mean, same year or what a year after, right around there. I mean, Harrison Ford. This was his prime. Uh, I mean, he was coming off of Star Wars, Blade Runner. This, when you watch this movie, it still holds up. I mean, yeah, the you know the end scenes with the the melting faces and all that stuff looks very 1940s, but. I almost wonder if they did that on purpose, do you think? Because, Mark, when you talked about your dad having a good time because it reminded him of those serial movies, I mean, that's the kind of crap that they did back then. And maybe that, you know, that technology had not advanced that far. But, I mean, this movie still holds up, I'm in my opinion, to this day. Well, it's a, again, they had a whole thing about the melting face tops yeah. melting face right no one had tried that because it's a practical effect how they had to do it if you can you can probably find it on youtube because no one had done something like that and the castings they had to take of the actor's face how they melted his face how they sped it up this was all groundbreaking in 1981 as a practical effect that no one had ever tried before so you may look at it now and go Eh, but back then, I remember watching that and going, oh, my God, the guy's yeah. face just melted. Right. And the hat. The best part is the hat kind of falls down over him because the whole face just falls in. You know, I, I you got to give these guys that kind of that kind of practical effect and uh, a lot of kudos because they were trying stuff that no one had tried before that now we take for granted. And I think people who were not our age going to see these movies don't don't necessarily relate to that this CGI like that was not CGI in any way, shape, or form, and that was a one-shot practical effect. Right. If you screwed it up the first time, you got to start all over, and that's a lot right. of money. I mean, it's you know, it's not okay. Delete the file, go back and start over. I mean, it's a lot of work, and that is why I think. For our generation, you know, everybody that listens to the show knows we're we're older folk. And 
I, I think that's our appreciation for some of these movies that, you know, maybe some of the listeners may watch and go, why do, why do they love on these movies? Uh, you know, the special effects aren't that good. You don't realize what had to go into it. I think that's why we appreciate it more. And I'm, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, guys, if you don't mind. When you look at the budget for this movie, I know at that time you you know you carry forward inflation, but the budget for this movie was under thirty million. Okay, that was, that was nothing back then. I, I showed an eighteen million dollar budget. Yeah. Was that eighteen million? million? Was it eighteen million? Eighty four million. Okay, that's what Wikipedia showed. All yeah, right. yeah. I was mil. I was looking at the IMDb thing, and <laughs> it was it was like twenty. I, I have to go back and look and. But it was just one of those things where I'm like, by today's standards, I mean, you're maybe paying one or two actor salaries with that. Yeah. And, and and you look at what was involved in this, the number of people, when you look at that. Because, again, folks, there's no CGI here. All the people you see, the masses of people, that's all real people. There's no, I mean, all the CGI, I mean, the green screen, it's all there. They so, did a little green screen. Little. Oh, oh no, they, they did a lot of green screen. That's what you did back then. I mean, that's what you had to do for the special effects, you know, with the ghost things at the end. But that's the thing. That's why these movies, I think, are really, I mean, for, I, like I said, my generation, the guys on the show, we really do appreciate them because they do look good, and they still hold up. Like I said, when we talk about, like, Blade Runner in this movie, and you look at uh, even Temple of Doom and uh, Last Crusade. The other the, the other movie, which we will not speak of, because it's like Voldemort and uh, Saruman. <laughs> that, that that will never, ever, the day that they, somebody on this show says, we're going to do Crystal Skull, you know this show has been hacked. It will never <laughs> happen. Ever. Well, never! Well, <laughs> You, you done there, Steve-O? I'm done. Better? Continue, okay. please. My son on the podcast. Now, well, 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 you know, to to the point about uh, special effects, the, one of those that you, you give would give Steve the creepy crawlies is in the early part of the movie. They would have done CGI nowadays is the tarantulas. All what? over the tarantula scene, all over the tarantulas that are crawling all over Alfred oh, Molina yeah. and, and Harrison Ford at the beginning of the movie. That would all be CGI now. That wasn't CGI. It's tarantulas. Yeah, those are the right. Those were tarantulas. And that's, that's the kind of thing that you you also got to give credit to the actors because we're gonna put tarantulas all over you. When they were setting that up, they what they had to do is put like fifty male tarantulas on Melina and then throw one female tarantula in the mix so that yep. all the males would start moving around and you know doing that writhing and everything yep no I mean, and that's that's not cgi yeah now no. every every time i see that scene i remember the first time i saw it i i actually did so in my shorts and <laughs> i i and be honest with you i knew it was coming up when i was doing clips for the podcast it's like we we're going right past this because there's nothing for me to record here so yeah that yeah, I, I think that if, if I ever see you with like a dozen tarantulas on your back, you're not going to just calmly reach back there and flick them off. 
No. I, I, he may no. stab himself in the process. I, <laughs> I, I, to this day, I still watch that and I'm like, were those real? Were there, were those real tarantulas on him? Because how yep. in the name of God and all that is holy. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is, I was, we, I wanted to talk about that because that was one of the scenes of this movie that I, Oh, to this day, I still have a hard time watching. <laughs> it's a beautifully filmed movie. They did a lot of location shots, uh, filmed in Tunisia. Actually, they filmed a number. Some, some of the scenes were filmed in the exact location that scenes from Star Wars were filmed. Yes. Uh, which I thought was interesting when I found that out. But, uh, hey. you know, they, they, they shot all around the world. Uh, and it's just a beautiful movie to watch. It's got humor. Uh, you know, they put a lot of humor in here. It, you know, just when you think you're getting down and things are tense and really, really grim, there'll be a funny little throwaway part in there. And some of these things, yeah, they're throwaway things, but they're like, you know, burned into pop culture. I mean, every like, you know, every, everybody knows, you know, about certain things. You know, snakes. I hate snakes. Right. You know? Who doesn't hate snakes? But you know. Well, and what's hey. what I what what I like about this movie and what you said, Ken, is Harrison Ford has a way of pulling that off. There's something about him and the way that he does that with kind of his you know his his smirk as he then reacts to a certain situation. I can think about the one where they're in the the submarine bay that he you know he knocks a um, a German soldier's a soldier out and he, you know, takes his uniform and realizes that it's too small. And, you know, as, as he's kind of caught in the process of trying to put on this small uniform, you know, he, you know, he just kind of, you know, gives the guy a look and a smirk and, and you know, and, you know, does what he has to do. Um, you know, it, it's those things that are interspersed throughout the movie that make this kind of a, a fun movie. It's not so dramatic. A question I always had in the back of my mind after watching this was, you know, how did Lucas get the budget to mock up that submarine pen? I mean, it looks so authentic and all. And then reading the, the research, like, they went to France, and actually there's a German submarine pen that didn't get bombed out. It's still there. So they just filmed it there. It's actually a real Nazi submarine pen from the 40s. And they used the submarine from Das Boot. Right. Yeah, I can remember reading that that sort of saved Dostboat. Dostboat was having some cash flow problems in production, and they, by renting this, they deliberately sort of threw a bone to help that movie get finished up. I was watching that U-boat. Normally, you know, in movies, a U-boat, if they said it's a U-boat, it's just a modern submarine, but I made U-boat models. I mean, that thing looked like it was a U-boat. I was like, how, how the hell did they get a U-boat? Yeah, it was great. It was a Type Seven. I'm looking at it, going, "That's Type Seven. They did it right. They did it right, actually, at a whole lot of levels. A lot of the detail in this is very well done, and there's things that are like they're accurate, even though the average person would not even have a clue whether they're right or not. Well, I, I, I appreciate that attention to detail. Well, I tell you what, there's a bunch of stuff in here that. I was throwing the BS flag on. MP40s weren't around then. A lot of the German soldiers were carrying an MP40. Well, this is 1936. 
didn't have those. But but that's the the modern person looking at a if they had Tommy guns, it would have just not felt right. No, I, I understand that. No, I understand they. But the thing was, and like you said, when you look at that, it's like they had the right sub. And again, folks, we're getting our technical geek on. But there were things about this movie that, from a technical aspect, yeah, I mean, the weaponry looked right. Uh, it it looks great. Uh, didn't exist at that period of time. You know, like the you well, know the CNPM. Well, nor 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 did the Gotha flying wing, but it's cool as shit. Oh no, uh, no, it looked great, <laughs> and what a great looking plane. I I agree. I mean, I look past all that. I mean, I I don't I look at that stuff and go, yeah, whatever. You know, they're they're playing. Uh, it's the artistic license, if you will. But you know, this is not one of these movies that I'm going to hold that kind of stuff. Well, first of all, uh, 1936. Let's see who was running Egypt back then. Oh, that's that right. Was it was always a problem. <laughs> yeah, you know, the yep. British Empire would take. Offense and a battalion of Africa Corps troops running around Egypt. Well, but, detail. Con- consider, detail. Considering the Africa Corps did not exist at that time. Detail. Details. Details. I'm with Mark. Yeah. Mark, you're correct. Yes. It's an adventure. You know, one of the things we were talking about firearms, and I wanted, I made a note about this. One of the best gun sound effects movies ever. Deep, throaty, yes. space heavy. Yes. Love. You know, the gunfight in the bar is just. Yes. If you saw it in the theater, and this movie needs to be seen in the theater. If you if you get a chance, when I got to see it last year with my kids, mm-hmm. it was just like seeing it again for the first time. The sound editing in this movie and the sound is just thoroughly, it's just amazing. The, well, the sound quality. Yes. Something that. I, I learned in my research is that the sound technicians in this movie dubbed in the blast of a 30-30 rifle for Jones's pistol. Damn great. Throaty, that's why. Mm-hmm. It's actually a rifle sound. Oh, but it's perfect. Yes, it is. Those fight scenes are awesome. And it's great stuff. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, folks. It's not one of those things where it's just like, ah, don't go see this because the weaponry is all wrong. Okay, so they're they're three, four years ahead of their time. But it looked good for the time, and I think they were looking at it from the standpoint, you know, you know, 95% of the people other than the World War II vets are going to go, uh, those didn't, those weren't around then. But, you know, who knows? Prototypes. Yeah. But, you know, the the other thing is always remember the Nazis had cool uniforms. Even Africa Corps uniforms, Nazis look cool in their uniforms. They did. And they that's what good. you play to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no doubt. And, and, and maybe that's what it was. Maybe, you know, you could make the argument they were the prototype uh, special forces unit that went down there to, you know, to do this expedition. You know, that's maybe what it was. Yeah. yeah. You have to... You, like any movie, you got to suspend some disbelief. Right. It's in, you know, it's set in the 30s, but yeah, are they delving into every last detail? No. It's, but it's still, it is, it has the right feel. Right. You know, something that, not related to this movie, but I just finished a book uh, called Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World, all about the Mongols and, you know, the effect the Mongols have had on history. And I'm, 
towards the end of it, the author is going, you know, talk about various things that are happening in more recent days. And he starts talking about how Adolf Hitler dispatched an archaeologist to Mongolia in the 30s before World War I broke out to make off with a copy of the secret history of the Mongols to learn their military secrets so he could overpower his enemies. And then I'm watching this movie going like, Hitler would do such a thing? Crazy talk. Uh, guys, let's talk a little bit about the actors in this one. Well, gosh, Harrison Ford. I've had some issues with Harrison Ford before. Never thought he was that great of an actor. But, man, he shows his chops in this one. And all the Indiana Jones movies. Well, I think it plays to his strengths. There's there's a lot of action. Um, but I think some of the problems that we've had with Harrison Ford... And a lot of the other movies is you know, just the way that he moves, especially in the the Fugitive, where I, it's painful to watch him run in that movie. Yes, but in Star Wars and in this, um, he's directed very well. I give credit to Spielberg knowing his limitations um, as far as what Harrison Ford can and can't do, and and making the scene play out so Harrison Ford has his strengths again. Harrison Ford is one of those guys to me that has a lot of charisma and, and that just comes through on this, on, on the screen in this movie. But I think this is his best work. I mean, this is everything that I, at least I compare it to. I compare it to how does he do in this movie? Um, I love the fugitive more for Tommy Lee Jones than actually Harrison Ford. Um, but I think he does it. Uh, just it, it's just rough watching Harrison Ford in that movie, and that's the one that I always I, I can I there's a stark contrast between what he does in this movie and then The Fugitive, and then I everything else kind of falls in between to certain degrees for me. But in this movie, I again I they cast him I think for the person that he is instead of necessarily what he can do. Now I agree with you there, Mark. What do you think? About Ford in this movie? Yeah. You know, Tom Selleck was going to do this movie, but he couldn't get away from Magnum P.I. And I know that's in the trivia. You're probably going to touch on it. And I, and they had him cast. He was ready to go, but he couldn't break free. And I think I'm a huge Selleck fan. And I think Selleck would have brought a different sense of humor to it and would have been very good at it. But like Jeff, this is probably Harrison Ford's best vehicle because that dry style of his and that sense of cool, he's just got, he just emanates cool. And he doesn't have to do anything but just have a presence. His, it, it just inhabits the screen. And it's, it's very much leading man of the 30s and 40s. And you know, that's what they were going for. And having Ford in this role... Um, I, I would say I, I agree wholeheartedly with Jeff that this is probably his best movie ever because it played to all of his strengths. It's it's just great to watch him because he just he doesn't chew up the scenes, he doesn't camp them up, but he inhabits that role, and you believe he's Indiana Jones. You know, Mark, you said something that just made me think of a theory. Do you hmm. think Harrison Ford, as an actor, was an actor in the wrong generation. Because like you said, it, it you could see him. He would have been like a Clark Gable, great guy in the 30s or 40s. 
maybe yeah, even the 50s. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, he, That's an interesting he, point. He had that look. Like I said, it was there was something about him, especially in this movie. You, you just looked at him and went, yeah, I mean, this is – he exudes – like the 30s or the 40s. I mean, he fits in there. Well, and I think I think it. part of it is, real quick, I'm sorry, Ken, I didn't no, no, go ahead. Funny, But real quick also, it's the way he looks. He looks good in that era's dress. Yes. He can carry the fedora and the suit, or he can carry off the fedora and the leather jacket. He's He's got those features that are iconic to that period that you just go, yep, yep. That's the guy. I think you. That's it. I think you hit it. He has that look. That was that. What I was about to throw in is, we've commented on it on other podcasts, other episodes. There are some actors and actresses that they just can't pull off looking like someone from another era. I mean, it really gets bad when it's like you know they're supposed to be in the 1850s or the 1700s, and they look like they just stepped off. You know. Sunset Boulevard or something. This one's different. I think just, I mean, I'm not going to just say Ford, but they did a good job of casting people who just, you know, lived in the skin of somebody from the 30s. They, they well, looked right. They looked look like they Den- belonged. Look at Denim Elliott. Yeah. Uh, and the guy who played Belloc is dead on. Yeah. Yep. Paul Freeman. I mean, for that matter, the the... The big hulking, you know, Nazi without a shirt except the <laughs> aircraft mechanic. He looked like, yeah, looks like he just stepped out of the 30s. And that was the thing, you know, it. you know what I'm talking about. You, you'll you go to the movies, you'll be watching some movie set in the past, and they the people just don't look like they belong. Right. Well, that's, that's the thing about Tom Selleck. You see a cowboy movie with Tom Selleck, you go, yep. He fits. Well, because when you look at Tom Selleck in a cowboy movie, the next word is like, we're Sam Elliott. Damn it. Right. Right. <laughs> well, you know, and I, I think that – I just want to just throw this out. I don't think that Raiders of the Lost Ark would have been as successful with Tom Selleck at the head of it. I don't think he could have pulled off what um, Harrison Ford did. I you know, agree. I, I think I think actually I, I love Tom Selleck for the stuff that some of the stuff that he's been in. I mean I, I absolutely love Magnum PI, uh, but I think him in that role it just it would have came off it just would not have been as memorable I think as and as a classic as it could be for the 1980s. I just think I don't think you could have cast anybody but Harrison Ford in that role and it come off as epic as it was. No, I agree. And if you want to see Tom Selleck in his environment, he did a, a great Turner Broadcasting movie called Monty Walsh, cowboy movie. Yes. He And Quigley Down Under is another classic. But you put him in a cowboy, he's dead on. Mm-hmm. You know, but you're I thought right. he did a good – I mean, not that this is a Tom Selleck podcast, but I thought he did a good job as Ike. Oh, yeah. Yep. In that Turner movie. Yeah. But you're right. Jeff, you are you're absolutely right. It would have been a different movie, and he was in a kind of movie like this that took place in China. Oh yeah, and he was an aviator from World War One. Oh, shoot, what was the name of that? And and nobody remembers it, right? It was not a bad movie, but I'm, I'm sure it wasn't bad. Point, 
but to your point, Jeff, it was it was what probably Raiders would have been with Tom Selleck in it. And I hate to say that because I'm a huge Tom Selleck fan. High Road to China. Yeah, not Two a years bad after movie. This. It was a solid movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it was trying to cash in on the Indiana Jones genre. Totally. Well, you know, guys, real quick, one thing that I wanted to mention is, like Ken brought up before, you know, how people looked a certain way. You had Karen Allen in this movie, and I'm kind of like, uh, not, I mean, you know, not striking, not anything to look at, but looking at it from Ken's point of view is that they cast her because she looked the part. Oh, yeah. And, well, and also, she had the attitude they were looking she did a she was, great job. Yeah. She was spunky. Yeah. She had that spunky thing, but I'm kind of like, eh. Well, but I think to pull off that character, you can't have somebody that is prim and proper, typical model features. I mean, this is a woman that lives in, in a rugged environment and who's going to look kind of weathered and rugged. And I think Karen Allen pulls off that look. Um, but I think she also fits the look of that period. I think she is someone that, that would uh, look of that period, but also fill that dual role of being in a man's world. And this is what it would look like. Well, I, 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 I buy that and I, I'm fine with that, but there was another person that I thought, yeah, she might've done a pretty good job. And again, you got to remember the, the period of time, uh, Sharon Stone was actually auditioned for this role. Really? Yep. Do you know what another movie Sharon Stone was in? It was reminiscent of this? Uh, I don't know. King Solomon's Mind. You have failed me for the last time. <laughs> Am I right, Mark? <laughs> Actually, I, need pal- the, I need a palate cleanser. Hold on. To me, the one that might have pulled it off, too, was Sean Young. She's got that 30s look. She can pull out. She pulled it off in Blade Runner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, she, she was seriously considered for this role. Was she really? Yeah. 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 Until oh. they spent five minutes with her and realized she was batshit <laughs> crazy. <laughs> she wasn't crazy in 1981. <laughs> At least nobody said she was. She was doing fine work in 1981. Can't let me, let I me still tell like let me Sean tell Young you. to this day. I do let too. Me, I let do me tell too. You. Stop by Indy, I'd buy your dinner. John Rise Davies deserves attention. Oh, Gimli. Absolutely. This, this is like the movie where, to me, you know, he first really came on my radar screen. I really enjoyed him in Sliders, and I don't mean White Castles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did a great job here in this, you know, playing Indy's local contact in Cairo. And he's got some great, you know, dry comic lines. Uh, you know, he sort of pops in. As, I, mean, I mean, what would you say about the middle third of the movie? He's a major character and then he sort of drops back out. Uh, and then this movie has a bunch of other, you know, sort of supporting cast. Denholm Elliott, who marked talked about who plays Marcus Brody uh, is probably the top there. I mean, he does a lot, you know, setting up the scene, just getting, would you, 
would you guys say that he just does a good job of setting up the atmosphere and like the whole idea of what this is all about? Yes. Yeah, he's the he's the very grounded, thoughtful person. I, yeah. I think the I think an actor we need to talk about is Paul Freeman, who played Belloc. What has he ever been in? Because I I don't know. He's been he's in been, a lot of stuff. He's in Hot Fuzz. Yep. Which which actor are we talking about? Belloc. Belloc. Paul Freeman. Oh yes. He's in Centurion. He was. Yes. Yep. He played the governor. Oh, oh my gosh! For the love of God, yes, he did. He did. No, he, he's one of these guys that I mean, he he's got a job like every year, but he never broke through to be the A list guy. He's yep. a very good supporting role. Yep. And this is, I mean, he's in this in the middle, in the beginning, and at the end. Yep. And he's he is a great foil for Indiana Jones, and it's kind of. You know, an interesting note to me is both these guys, they're both, you know, they're, they're constantly doing this thing of like, you know, I beat you or you beat me or I'm a dark version of you. Uh, we're so similar. And when you really get down to it, they're both just archaeologists who are cashing a check for a national government. I mean, you know, Bullock's cashing a check from Hitler and Indiana Jones is cashing a check from Roosevelt, but they're just both doing a job on one level, but trying to beat the other at another level. Hey guys, I, I just want to jump real quick because we have to move on. Favorite scenes. What do you guys think? I mean, I know there's probably tons, but here's the thing. I was really watching this movie when I was getting clips and there were things that I noticed that I thought were kind of cool. Um, that, uh, gosh, I don't know if the average person would have actually noticed these things, but I just want to throw it out there. What do you guys think? Mark? My two favorite, I mean, it, this whole movie is one gigantic favorite scene, but yes. my two favorite scenes in this movie are the bar in Nepal from the point where we are introduced to Karen Allen with the shots, dr taking turn drinking shots competition all the way through to the end when Ken's hand is horribly burned and he's crying like a little baby in the snow. <laughs> I had to get some Neosporin for that thing, man. That's right. I mean, how that thing is shot, the lines, the sound effects. One of my favorite parts of that whole gunfight in the bar is when the, the Nepalese and Harrison Ford's character, Indiana Jones, when they're told, when Tolt says kill them, kill them both, and they're both like, oh, <laughs> and all you see is the shadow of the guy getting shot. That's just brilliant cinematography. I, I love that that whole that whole bit, that gunfight in there, and everything around it. That's one of my favorite scenes. And the other, there's just something powerful and magical because it sets the tone for the next half of the movie is what takes place in the map room. The music really is the driver for that because Harrison Ford never says a word. He's investigating the model. You know, he sticks the staff in. You see the, the light. It hits. It's all about the music. And then we get the Nazi flag hitting him in the face, and we get that little touch of humor. Ken, what do you think? 
I'm going to say a favorite, again, I, the whole movie is a favorite scene. I love the whole thing. Uh, the opening scene, the excursion through the jungle, they're trekking through, checking the old map. You have the various, you know, parts of the party. They don't spend any time really building character, but nonetheless, somehow, you actually care a little bit about these various guys. You see them sweating and climbing and, you know, going through the jungle. They get to this ancient temple. You've got the traps and the confrontation with Balak and the, the getaway with the Indians chasing him and the plane ride with the snakes. Uh, just a great opening. It takes about five minutes, maybe. Great scene. I love it. Everybody, it's, you know, again, it, it sets sets the mood for the whole rest of the movie. Uh, after that, I think my next favorite scene is the, you know, the the whole uh, through the market in the in Cairo, where uh, Indy and Marion are being chased by various thugs, you know, being ordered around by nefarious hidden Nazis. And you come to the famous sword fight scene, which is, you know, it, it, it's, it, everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. You know, how many times have you seen this? How many times have you wished the hero in the movie or TV show just did what had to be done like Indiana does in that scene? It's great. Cool. Jeff? Like Mark, one of my favorite scenes is the map room, um, the lead up to that and, and in it. My, my other favorite scenes um, are in Cairo, especially the chase scenes, the discovery. And, and I really like the, the, the scenes where they're out digging, where, where the, the, the Germans are out digging for um, trying to find the Ark. Um, yeah, there, there's something that just feels very rich and authentic about all that um they do such an outstanding job i mean you really feel like you have been transferred to this time period and and that is that is just i think just so hard to do on the big epic scope they did this movie on um it it just it still impresses me to this day how they were able to to transform such a big scene um, and make it look so authentic. Um, but those those are two of my favorite. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. I don't have – well, I do have a lot of favorite scenes, but there are a couple of scenes here that I am going to throw in as my favorite scenes because they are just a few things that I refer to as – did you guys notice this? All right, the first one is – remember when Indy and uh, – what's her name? The irrelevant female Marion. Marion, thank you. We're coming out of the uh, Well of Souls. He's pushing the block out. And when they're climbing out, there's like this dude just like laying against the wall on the outside. Was that like a stump person or somebody that fell asleep or like <laughs> go back and look? Because when they come out, there's this dude. He was just like crashed against the wall. Like, there's a lot of just throwaway stuff. Yeah. That they have in this. Like another one that you got to look real close, but in the scene where at the, in the sub pen, where Marion is coming out of the sub and getting hauled away, the guy with her has like a cast on his arm. 
you gotta look close. It's like yes, what, I what, saw that too. Yeah, I mean that guy was like all bandaged up. It's like the hell happened to you, dude? Did you try to mess with her and she kicked your ass or what? <laughs> I think that's what they're trying to get across. It's like a, a whole unstated story. I I kind of wonder because that, I I can I saw the da- same damn thing. I was like. Why is that guy all bandaged up? All right, here, real quick, another one. Uh, let's see. Remember when Indy was riding down on his horse, uh, chasing the caravan, uh, the truck, uh, when he, he was trying to get on the truck, there's a Jeep behind the truck, and they've got an MG38 up there. Remember when that guy starts, like, laying in an MG38? <laughs> yeah. Did Everybody you notice the all the... Is- Duck. Yeah, everybody in the back of the truck just lays on the ground, and I thought, that's cool. I mean, you know, some dumbass director would be like, yeah, just shoot the gun, everybody else would just sit there, because they know it's blanks. But, well, I'd be doing the same thing. As a matter of fact, if I was in the back of the truck, I'd have been shooting the guy on the other side going, you stupid son of a bitch, you're going to kill us all. But Well, and, and to that point, the 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 Feldwebel in the truck is almost a minor character for like the three minutes he's in it. Yes. You know, the guy who climbs over the top of the truck after his men have failed to knock Indy out of the truck. Well, you, you, he's almost like an interesting character. Yeah. Well, you would have thought that it's the fact that he's, you know, he's, he's a sergeant. He's like, men, take him out. Like, it's not my job. You're, you know, you go do it. (laughs) <laughs> and then they fail, so it's like, what the hell? I got to do this now. Right. Well, you would have thought the second wave would have figured out, all right, the side guys didn't go, oh, go over the top. But, oh, well. All right, so there there you go, folks. There's our favorite <laughs> favorite scenes. So we are now going to move on to one of our favorite, <laughs> favorite parts of the show, and that is Brother Whatcha Drinking, Jeff. Um, tonight I just simply pulled out the, uh, Kenny Bunkport Porter and, uh, I same beer I drank on the last show and still, still good. Well, well, last show, that was like six months ago, dude. I I know sitting that's asked by whole this beer is six months. How's that going down? It, it's fine. It's a good beer. It's a nice solid Porter. And, uh, I, I have half of my six pack left and so I'm trying to go through them. Nice. All right. Still worth drinking. Very well done. All right, Mark, what do you got, sir? A new beer by a new brewery I tried out tonight. I kind of picked a mix six. I could mix up some of their beers at my favorite um, my favorite brewery um, it's, or my favorite uh, liquor store. It's called Lagunitas Brewery. They're out of Petaluma, California, and Chicago, Illinois. Hmm. If you can find this brewery, um, I recommend it. I've tried a couple of their beer. I, like I said, I did a pick six, so I mixed up a bunch of their beers to try them. Uh, I have their little something extra ale. A ma- it pours and it smells like an IPA, but imagine that they, you you have an IPA that has a hint of malt and wheat in it. It is out. Standing. And then I've tried their copper ale. These guys have crafted some of the best beers I've ever had. I will go back and buy multiple six packs of their stuff. They're called Lagunitas, and they've got 
little something ale and rich copper ale and they're both outstanding beers and anybody who has as their their logo kind of the dog has a has a great looking um i don't know pit bullish kind of dog and the logo as their logo and then their tagline is in dog beers i've only had one they win in my book nice a great brewery all right, guys, it is now my turn. It's now time for Flashback Friday on Brother, What You Drinking? Well, all I have to say is I wish I would have grabbed the Low Kings. <laughs> well, wow, that's high uh, praise. I've got the, um, good God almighty. <laughs> No, this is um, this is another one that uh, my good dear friend Mark brought. God, <laughs> see it's This is another one that my good dear friend Mark brought me down from uh, Louisville. Uh, Louisville, I, I live in Lexington. You dumbass. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that uh, Louisville Booker? I'm sorry. Is this how you treat my gift? You call it. You 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 you. You besmirch my gift to you. This is a gift. This is like a <laughs> gift like somebody would have gave me a voodoo doll. Good Lord. Um, this is called Hootie. Or Hootapol. Hootapol? Blowfish with that? All I saw is H-U-D-Y. Hootapol was a big brand back in the day. Leopold. 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 Well, all it says is Hootie here. So. Hootie. Cutie and 14K premium beer. Well, let me just tell you, folks. 14K? What? I, you know what? I, I don't even want to know because. Um, <laughs> How is it, Steve? Well, when you get the smell of gut oil out of your nose. <laughs> I'm thinking this might be the last night of my of flashback Fridays. Jesus Christ. <laughs> You're choking. <laughs> hey, nobody made you do this. You volunteered for this. I did. Thank God I got Jack Daniels here. <laughs> you got two more beers to get through. Oh, my God. So tell us. Give us a flavor report, Steve. Oh, my God is not a flavor report. That's an anecdote. Yeah, there's no flavor report there. It's just don't buy this. Oh. Oh my God. I don't even want to put it down the toilet. I'm afraid it's what I can do with my septic system. Is this like God. alien blood? If you spill it on your desk, it's going to eat through? It's really, it's it's not good. It's. <laughs> hey, wow. Steve? Yeah. I'm, Maybe I'm you figured out my nefarious plan. If I keep feeding you really shitty beer, you'll get over this kick. All right. Um, <laughs> so there you go, folks. It's. Um, well, they is call it Huda Mints. I mean, what is what is it? What what is it? An ale? Is it a lager? I I'm not even looking at the beer anymore. I'm afraid it's gonna like catch my eye. It's <laughs> it's a pilsner, I think, is what the bottle said. All it says is yes. premium beer. It says premium beer. I'm done. That's it. As a matter hey, of fact, you, actually, I'm gonna like go burn this glass. You know, in the high point of this whole shitty beer summer is hams. That's saying something. Yeah, pretty much. I think that might be it. Well, Mark, Mark, you have to put it in context. I mean, he started this when 
the summer just got here. We had that long, cold, wet spring. And then the sun started shining. And he was just overcome with emotions of those fun, lazy, crazy summer days of his youth. You can't blame a guy for trying to recreate that. Come on. Is that your story? Is that Are you sticking to it? I'll stick to it. That's my excuse. <laughs> All right, uh, folks, moving on. We are now going to go on to... It's now time for Catching Up with Ken. Ken, what do you got? Uh, hold on, i, I got to get up, finish with my disco chair dance here first. <laughs> kind of a quiet time. Uh, what I've done since the last podcast, I went to Symphony on the Prairie. Uh, nice show. Met up with some friends up there. You know, drinks and snacks and listened to his radio hits of you know, the past 50 years as played by the symphony. And it was a good show. Solid. Uh, after that, show. I went. What? That must have been a long show. It was no. It's just a standard, you know, two-hour show. Uh, after that, I went. Fifty years. Well, but they just highlights. If I had to pick one song I liked, it was the symphony doing the theme from Hawaii Five-O. After that, I cut out and went down to the pawn shop pub, to the uh, patio there. A friend of mine was having her birthday party. And so I hung out with her and various friends and pawn shops are very nice. Uh, it's a little gem. It's actually, it's a converted Long John Silvers, but they've turned into a really nice uh, local bar with uh, better than average food selection. Uh, very, very customer focused. I, I, I enjoyed my night there. Uh, kind of a quiet week. Uh, this evening before the podcast, I went down to the South side. My, my friend, Amy, friends, Amy and Ryan were throwing a dinner party and, uh, delicious food. While I was there, I was drinking Riesling. Uh, they had, you could have red or white. And that was the white selection. Uh, interesting note while I was there, they, we, they were asking like, what are you doing tonight, Ken? I'm going, going for my podcast. We got to talk about the podcast. Had a lengthy discussion of Raiders and Lost Ark down there. And uh, the the other guests were a couple, one of which uh, I'll just name, you know, go by Jason. Uh, Jason is a attorney with the patent department. And he was saying, like, well, one of my specialties is I, I'm in charge of the uh, copyright, you know, regulations and all for sounds. And I go like, sounds really? Are, are you aware of the Wilhelm scream? It, well, yes, I am. I mean, I'm, I'm very aware of the Wilhelm scream. As a matter of fact, he pulled out his phone, and there's a on YouTube. Did you know there's a compilation of every movie scene with the Wilhelm scream in it? <laughs> there's one in this movie, pretty much. Yeah, and, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. He says like, you know, you know what's in there? Like, yeah, so. We had a lengthy talk about the Wilhelm scream, and he was showing the, the clip to everybody to show, like, you know, once you hear it, you know it, and you hear it in the future once you know what you're listening to. So I'll tell you, listeners, you can Google it. Google Wilhelm scream. You've heard it tonight. Uh, you'll hear it all over the place in movies because sound technicians in Hollywood have a, 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 a contest among themselves 
to insert the Wilhelm scream into about every movie you can think of. Would that you say that's true, guys? Absolutely. Yep. So again, that was my uh, entertainment tonight. You know, I had to cut out. I was running late for the podcast, so again, I had to apologize for that. But it was a great dinner. It was a ravioli and chicken pesto salad, chocolate cake. Uh, my friend Amy is an excellent uh, hostess and always puts on a good little dinner. But that's it with me. Nice. Record time. Nice. Uh, uh-huh. Folks, uh, just so you know what the Wilhelm scream is, I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> there you go. Right through the truck during the chase. There you Pretty go. Glass breaking. I love yep. it. Well, and if you uh, were listening to the show early on, uh, that's a Jeff Muncie uh, scream, too. So, <laughs> Well, very well done. Nice, Ken. Love it. Uh, so now we are moving on to uh, one of our other favorite parts of the show, and that is clips. Clips. And let's see. We got you, number you one. You have one or two clips out of this movie, don't you? I got a few. Number one. And I apologize, folks. Some of the sound is a little iffy, so forgive me. He doesn't like snakes. It doesn't matter. What he wants and what he gets are two different things. Yep, pretty much. Well, he could have a bunch of uh, indigenous people's sticks up his ass or... He could have a snake in his lap. There you go. I'll take the snake. All right, number two. Now, you see, over the last two now, years, the Nazis have had teams of archaeologists running around the world looking for all kinds of religious artifacts. Hitler's a nut on the subject. It's crazy. He's obsessed with the occult. You know, and that's the thing about this movie. It has very subtly, it doesn't beat you over the head, but it has significant religious overtones. Oh, yeah. Well, here we go. Uh, speaking of which, the lost ark. Yeah, the ark of the covenant, the chest the Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. What, what do you mean, mean the commandments? You're talking about the Ten Commandments? Yes, the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets that Moses brought down out of Mount Harab and smashed, if you believe in that sort of thing. Any guys ever go to Sunday school? <laughs> <laughs> See, there's two guys here that went to Sunday school. The two guys that started laughing. Me and Mark. <laughs> Jeff laughed. He got it. Did he? I didn't hear a chuckle. I didn't hear a chuckle. Well, Mark did. That's all that matters. All right. I heard it. All right. There you go. Steve, Steve doesn't even listen to me anymore. Who are you? Exactly. Oh, I'm sorry. Our special guest, Red Shirt. Hey, hey, hey. I love you, Jeff. Scotty. You know, that's why I come back here. You know, that, that's what sustains me through my time of troubles. Hey. I know. I'm here for you, Sundance. All right. 3000 bucks. Well, then we'll get me back. But not in style. I can get you another two when we get to the States. Okay. This is 1936, I believe. Three grand then was $55,000 now. It's not well, going to get. Yeah. Steve, that'll get you back, but just not in style. That's right. And she, she was an entrepreneur. She had her own place and everything. She's not going to be swayed by a shop change like that. You obviously don't know what first class is like these days and how much it is, okay? You're just satisfied with Coach. 
obviously I'm one of the 99% of the group, but that's all right. All right, here we go. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Next. Indeed. There's something that troubles me. What is it? The Ark. It is there, Atanis. And it is something that man was not meant to disturb. Death has always surrounded it. It is not of this earth. All right, next one. How odd that it should end this way for us after so many stimulating encounters. Almost regretted. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. Those are conversations Steve and I have together. You know, I love the fact that they're pointing out these are both highly educated, highly skilled adversaries who aren't that different. They really aren't that different. They are two sides of the same coin. Yes. Uh, let's see. Jones, do you realize what the arc is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. And it's within my reach. You want to talk to God? Let's go see him together. He had a bad day. Yeah, I like that scene, though. That's a, that's a favorite scene for me. Yes. You said their headpiece only had markings on one side. You absolutely sure? Belloc's staff is too long. They're, They're digging, digging in the, the wrong, wrong place. place. <laughs> All right, next. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Asps. Very dangerous. You go first. <laughs> and, and you know what makes that scene work so well is when it, Harrison Ford kind of rolls over on his side and then he looks at at John Reese Davies like, you're an asshole. <laughs> yes. But a smart asshole. Yeah. Yeah. All right, next one. Get us some transport to England. Boat, plane, anything. Meet me at Omar's. Be ready for me. I'm going after that truck. Oh. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, too, because that's how this works. It's not like Sherlock Holmes or James Bond. It's like, I'm just... Winging it. Uh, let's see, we already did the Hel Wilhelm scream. Oh, here. I like this one. What'd you say? <laughs> you guys are all laughing because you know what that scene was from. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Folks, there's no spoilers in this movie because if you haven't seen it, you shouldn't be listening to this show. So <laughs> that's a classic classic part of this uh, movie and it's uh, that kind of humor it's it's <laughs> you don't expect it and then you just it's just like yeah that's what would happen <laughs> the scream is the best you've yep. got it, oh. it's like an echo because they pull back <laughs> yes. uh, all right if just, you're married you've been there yep and just, uh, you know what? It bears repeating. <laughs> that should be a staple in your in your sound effects. You need to keep that for all your sound effects. That's like the Wilhelm scream of buried men. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
country, you find out when, what do you mean you're pregnant? (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Uh, All right. Hold hold on. All right. Next one. Not the man I knew 10 years ago. It's not the years. It's the mileage. All right. That one's for Ken. A lot of mileage on this. Yep. Absolutely. Over Sturmont Buer totes is taking its toll. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you have to pull your hanger out, right? Absolutely. You know, tendonitis acts up when I have to get that hanger all rigged up. I mean, hell. All right, guys. I know this is we we've been like tearing up the uh, the clips, but uh, here you go. Last and certainly not least. The Ark is a source of unspeakable power, and it has to be researched. And it will be, I assure you, Dr. Brody, Dr. Jones. We have top men working on it right now. Who? Top men. That quote is so effective in so many places. That's right. All right, folks, that is it with clips. We are now going to go on to the Man Cave movie review checklist of this great and fantastic film. Number one. It's a given. I'm going to say, I'll leave this up to the group, but I'm going to say, yes, there was this. Now, technically, it's not jumping. But during the whole extended fight scene while trying to grab a control of that truck containing the Ark, at one stage, Indy got thrown through the window and had to do an extended hold onto the front and then crawl underneath and then come back. And then when that that Phil Vebel climbed in and started beating up Indy, Indy threw him out the window of the same truck to, uh, unfortunately, his doom. Well, Ooh. Ken, I'm just going to say, I think the, when Indy actually broke through the window to take out the Feldwebel, um, yeah, this this was pretty much the defining uh, jumping through the window movie, I would say. Just my thought. So. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All opposed? Well, there's no one else left to oppose, so motion carried. Let's see. Number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there a relevant female role in the movie? Uh, okay. I will I will call the ball. No. I don't think Marion was irrelevant. I agree. And she is the really, I mean, the main female character in the movie. There's other supporting ones that had their little bits and pieces, but I, I think she did a great job in the movie. I think she brought I, a lot to it. I, lo- I loved her spunk. Yes. Obviously, Steve, you disagree with us. I'm not saying she was irrelevant. I Let's put it this way. The character was not irrelevant. Not a fan of, um, let's see, what's her name? Sharon Allen. Karen, yeah, or Karen, Karen yeah. Allen. Karen Allen. Karen Allen. Yeah, not a fan. But the uh, character. Oh, I'm, I'm, I have no problem with the character in the role, but, um, yeah, not her. So I think I think that's very fair. Yeah. 
which leads us to this. Uh, could the uh, female role be better played by Tonic Tane? No. Can I offer an insightful thought about this matter? By all <laughs> means, please share if, with the rest of the group. If Tony Katane had been splayed upon the Mercedes Benz, the hood of the Mercedes Benz truck, the Feldwebel would never have stood a chance, and that whole fight would have been over before it began. But that's just my opinion. I have shocked you all into. Gobsmackery. No, no yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just saying is that um, Karen Allen doesn't do anything for me. Just saying. Just, but I mean, she I, wouldn't. I, but no, Tawny Katane would not have worked in this movie. Tawny um, Katane does not have a 30s look to her. No. She has an 80s look. Yes. You could have fixed her hair. She would have. Not. Been fine. Not. Nah, that won't nah, do nah, it. Nah, oh nah. my God! Here we go. Nope. 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 All right. Never mind. All right. Uh, next. Was there a montage in this movie? Ken, you're the montage king on this. I'm going to say there sort of was. The whole travel. I mean, they, they handled him getting from one side of the world to the other with a montage of just a few little scenes of him, like, getting on the planes, ominous characters looking at him, the map with the line showing the destinations. That's sort of a montage. I think it's as close as we're going to get. Yeah, yeah, because it didn't have a, a classic A-team montage, no. It's not a true classic A-team montage. Okay. No. I'm good. Move on. Yeah. All right. And last, and certainly not least. And so it begins. Was there a Babylon 5 reference in this movie? Do you believe there's three of them in here? Holy dog shit, Batman. Hit me, brother. Okay, so you guys would. No, there was none. Just, I, I just wanted to see if you would believe me, and you guys did, and kind of, you know, hooked you right in. I no, believed you. There's none. I thought there might have been a stuntman. I even looked for stuntman. There was none. None. 15 years, and it's only 15 years later, but right. no. None. Muncie? Sorry. Sorry. I, I don't know. I got Steve's hopes up, and you know, I built him up, and then just chopped out his legs from underneath him. All right, folks, we are now going to go on to a little bit of trivia. Trivia? Yes. In filming the Well of Souls sequence, the producers scoured every pet shop in London and the south of England for every snake they could lay their hands on. Hence, there are snakes that are identifiable from many geographical areas. However, once all the snakes were on set, it became clear that there were not nearly enough of them. So Spielberg had several hoses cut into lengths, and these were used as well. The film begins with a shot of a peak in the jungle, which is reminiscent of the Paramount Pictures logo. A similar opening shot of a mountain is also used in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Tom Selleck was originally cast as Indiana Jones, but was committed to Magnum P.I. Jock's airplane, at the beginning of the film, was, has the registration number OBCPO referring to the characters Obi-Wan Kenobi and C-3PO from Star Wars. I did not notice that. Yes. The script originally included a long fight between the swordsman and Indiana with his whip. Actor Harrison Ford was suffering from diarrhea at the time and asked if the scene could be shortened. 
Spielberg said the only way he could shorten it is if an indie pulled out his gun and just shot the guy. The entire crew laughed, and that's how it was filmed. Hieroglyphs on the Well of Souls include engravings of R2-D2 and C-3PO. They can be seen on a post to the right of Indy and Sala as they remove the arc. Harrison Ford was actually dragged behind the truck for some of the shots. The DC-3 flying over the Himalayas, or Himalayas as some of you would like to call it, (laughs) it is lifted from 1973's Lost Horizon, while a 1930s street scene was borrowed from the Hindenburg. When Indy is threatening to blow up the Ark, Bellick says, you're going to give mercenaries a bad name. When he says that, a fly flies into his mouth and you don't see it coming out again. Wow. Can I throw in a couple points of trivia? Sure. Sure. In the the, uh, fight scene at the Flying Wing, we all know that big, hulking, shaven-headed Nazi that just beats the crap out of Indy, right? That was played by an English actor named Pat Bomber Roach. Roach. And he also, in the same, the same movie, played one of the Sherpas in Ravenwood's bar in uh, Nepal. And he has the unique... Uh, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, situation where he's been killed twice in the same movie. And another little bit of trivia was in the original script of this that Spielberg put together, uh, Sturm von Fuhrer Tote had a prosthetic arm that doubled as a flamethrower. And of all people, George Lucas said, like, that's just crazy. You can't have that. All right, folks, there there you go with the uh, the trivia. So we are going to go on to the Man Cave movie review of this great and fantastic film. Jeff, since you have not been here for, I don't know, last six months, it's all yours. Hey, thanks, Steve. Well, for my once-every-six-month review, let me launch into this. This movie was born out of the 80s, but it really transcends time and really holds up over time because of the period piece that it is. And as Mark so well he put well well even a word. Anyways, um it is now earlier. It is now. You know, this movie stands up over time. And if it was either filmed by a different person, acted by a different person, or if the score was composed by a different person, this would be forgettable. However it's not. And it's remembered as one of the greatest, if not 80s movies, still one of the greatest movies out there. At, at no point does this movie really lag at any point. It, it, is, it is a true adventure from beginning to end, and it keeps your focus and attention the entire time. Even when people are sitting around a table talking about the history of the Ark of the Covenant, you are glued in, and it, there, there's just this eerie music behind the scene that just keeps you um, pulled into the screen. It is well acted um, by all accounts from everyone. So well cast, well directed. I mean, the the action sequences in this show, I think, set the bar for, for what was to come. Up until this point, I don't know if there have been action sequences much like that, especially the way they were filmed. I mean, you, you had people jumping on horses from trains and stuff, but the way that this was filmed and it felt like you were right in the middle of the action um, and, and at the same time running along beside it. 
Um, it, it just, it, it keeps you riveted and you just never know how someone's going to meet their untimely demise. Um, it, it, it's, it's just, it, it's, I find it to be a very interesting movie. Um, if, if you're, if you're a man, you, you truly must love this movie. I have yet to meet, um, uh, anyone that did, did not like this movie. And it even is appropriate, I think, for older children, you know, 10, 12 years old, easily viewable with them. Um, and cause it's a fun show. Um, there's enough humor to keep you, um, keep you chuckling along the way. And in some of the, in, in some of the, even the more serious moments of the movie, um, it, it is, it is, it is a, a benchmark, I think, with which a lot of movies are compared to. And with that, I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. There's not, there's just, you know, there's just nothing I can really pick out that is too wrong with this movie. And I am going to give this film a 10. Boom, baby! So let it be written. So let it be done. Ditto. Um, don't you care. Second the motion. Oh, Lo- love this movie. Yeah. No, seriously. I, did you? He's going to incur the wrath of our listeners by going like, well, maybe it could have been better. No. The MP40s weren't around until 1938. There we go. But truly, I mean, guys, I mean, this is one of those, it's one of those perfect movies. Yep. I mean, it it, it is yep. as over the top as it may seem at times. It's it's wonderfully over the top yes. and it's, it's one of those few movies that just, it, it's wrapped up in such a great package that, you know, the quadfecta I referred to earlier, it, it just can't get any, any better than that. And I'm, I'm going to lay on you. We, we kind of alluded to Tom Selleck being one of the people that was floated as one of the actors, but here's just a quick list of who would have just totally made this movie Unmemorable, or just I mean, it would have made it feel like Congo or something, um, huh. or Deep you know, Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea. Um, you know, no, we remember Deep Blue Sea. Um, Nick Nolte, Steve Martin, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Tim Matheson, uh, Nick Mancuso, Pete or Peter Coyote, and Jack Nicholson were all considered for this. And by the way, we didn't talk about this, but Jeff Bridges turned the role down. He was offered it first. If it hadn't been for Harrison Ford, who was cast three weeks before photography, I I just don't think we would have this classic film. And um and, and you know and really this solidified Harrison Ford as as really you know one of the you know one of the great actors of uh of that time period. So there you have it. Very well done. It's a ten. I mean, it does it does everything right as a man gay movie, and it's also a great date movie. I mean, who can't enjoy this movie? That's my question. It's as Jeff mentioned, it's perfect for for uh, I would say ten, eleven year olds on up. My wife loves this movie. It 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 does everything right that a movie should. It's perfect entertainment, and that's a rare thing to accomplish. And it doesn't. It's not dated. Right. It's 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 as it's, good today as it was then. I will withhold this statement for 99.999% of the movies, but I would say this is a brilliant piece of filmmaking. As Jeff, I think, pointed out at the beginning, Lucas and Spielberg had a lot of ideas. They got Kasdan to turn those into a script. 
and then they got a great crew and a great cast to put it all together and it just holds up you know and one last observation about it it stays within its boundaries right a lot of times these movies will go and try and do too much it knew what it wanted i've said this before folks have heard me say it it knew what it wanted to do and it did it it hit every note it wanted to hit and it hit it perfectly and you know the highest credit to a movie is when it enters pop culture. You can quote a line and everybody gets it. And when yep. you have knockoffs and spinoffs that try to cash in on it. Exactly. I, I, I can't name the number of spinoffs and knockoffs this thing has had. All right, folks, that is it. We we are done. We are done with the uh, the Man Cave movie review and uh, of this great and fantastic film. So that is it for episode 120. Believe it or not. Uh, check us out on our website at mancavemoviereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review and leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show or didn't like it. Uh, you can look for us on uh, Stitcher at uh, Man Cave Movie Review and follow us on Twitter at Man Cave Movie. So until next week, I'm your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my top men, Mark. Would you like to pet my monkey? Slowly. You can't do this to me. I'm a man cave movie review podcaster. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's awesome. I love that one. Oh, very well done. All right. And also saying farewell and adieu and auf Wiedersehen is our other very good and dear friend, Ken. It ain't the years. It's the miles. Roni. You know, this movie made me realize it's uh I really couldn't make it as a tomb-robbing archaeologist. You know, Bullock failed because his staff was just too long. And, you know, the ladies tell me the same thing about myself. You know, I knew the whole his staff is too long <laughs> thing was going to come into this. But that's okay. And last, since well, you got a long staff. I mean, you got to talk about it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but did you notice what Harrison Ford did to that long staff? Yeah. Ow. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> All right. And last and certainly not least, our other good dear friend, our favorite Penny on the Rail, and and now becoming our special guest red shirt of the show, Jeff. Why do all the Bald guys die badly in these movies. Muncie. How odd that it should end this way for us after so many stimulated encounters. I almost regret it. Where shall I find a new podcaster so close to my own level, Mr. Michaels? Um, I don't know. My level is pretty low. You're never going to find anything better than me. <laughs> that's so, the that's my point. Yeah, oh, Try the sewer. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, thank you, sir, Flover. Try the go, sewer. Let me go out to my curb here and just take, take a, a pee. Well, yes. All right, Get folks. A honey dipper. Oh, nice. All right, folks. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we will see you next week. Until then, ciao.